0: Well, good morning. So we are finishing up our series on Ruth today as we close out chapter four. Uh, In his commentary on the book of Ruth, Barry Webb uh, compares chapter four with an illusionist who is multiplying doves before an audience. So I thought, oh, well, let's just show one. So why, why is that? Why does he say that? So the whole book of Ruth... Uh, of course, points to the need for a redeemer, someone to save Ruth and Naomi. Um, And as we read through the book, we expect it to end with a redeemer of some kind. But in this last chapter of the book, uh, we don't just see one redeemer. We see one materialize, then we see a second, then we see a third, then we see a fourth, then we see a fifth, very much like those doves. Um, So last week we talked about the first two of those redeemers uh, when we covered the first half of chapter four, namely Mr. So-and-so, the unnamed family redeemer, and Boaz. In today's scripture, we see the third, the fourth, and the fifth redeemers materialize. The third redeemer is mentioned in verses 13 through 17. I want to reread those. So Boaz took Ruth into his home and she became his wife. When he slept with her, the Lord enabled her to become pregnant and she gave birth to a son. Then the women of the town said to Naomi, praise the Lord who has now provided a redeemer for your family. May this child be famous in Israel. May he restore your youth and care for you in your old age. For he is the son of your daughter-in-law who loves you and has been better to you than seven sons. Naomi took the baby and cuddled him to her breast, and she cared for him as if he were her own. The neighbor women said, Now at last Naomi has a son again, and they named him Obed. He became the father of Jesse and the grandfather of David. So a lot happens in that first verse that I read, verse 13. Boaz marries Ruth, they conceive and they give birth to a son. And in the next verse we see that the third redeemer is actually the child, Obed. The women of the town say this to Naomi. They say, praise the Lord who has now provided a redeemer for your family. May this child be famous in Israel. May he restore your youth and care for you in your old age. For he is the son of your daughter-in-law who loves you and has been better to you than seven sons. So Naomi had returned to Bethlehem empty and bitter and now she was full of joy. Um, God blessed her first with Ruth, then with Boaz, And now, little baby, Obed. So the prayer was that Obed would restore her youth and care for her in her old age, which I'm sure he did. Um, I'm positive that when that new grandbaby arrived, her face just lit up. Um, Obed was a redeemer in the sense that he was an heir, because without an heir, the family name would have been lost. Uh, But now there was someone who would inherit the land and who would continue the family legacy. And look at verses 16 and 17 again. They say this, Naomi took the baby and cuddled him to her breast, and she cared for him as if he were her own. The neighbor women said, Now at last Naomi has a son again. And they named him Obed and became the father of Jesse and the grandfather of David. So it was almost as if this baby was her child. Um, we We don't see, actually, Ruth or Boaz mentioned again. So just Naomi loving on her grandbaby as if he were her own. Warren Wiersbe said this in his commentary on this text. He said, Grandchildren are better than the fountain of youth, for we get young again when the grandchildren come to visit. So this one verse where we see Obed being taken into the care of Naomi, his grandmother, uh, I want to spend some time on that, because I think it's important. If you think about it, Naomi could offer something that, uh, to Obed that Ruth couldn't. Um, Ruth was a new convert, so she probably didn't know much about Jewish customs or traditions. Uh, She probably didn't know much yet about the Torah or the history of God's people. Think of the blessing that Naomi would have been to uh, Boaz and to Ruth in raising their son and her grandson to follow the Lord. Um, A grandparent has the ability to be a blessing to grandchildren in a number of ways. and And I want to go through some of those. So first, uh, when the parents may fail at providing security or safety or consistency, grandparents sometimes can provide that. Um, if you've been coming for a while, you know, you've heard me talk a little bit about how I grew up. Um, I grew up poor in a Jerry Springer family, it's the best way I can describe in in short number of words, the kind of family I grew up in, Jerry Springer, Um, with alcoholism, with beer cans in the front yard, with fights breaking out, with sometimes the police being called. Um, But the times that I spent with my grandmother, my mother's mother, um, were times of peace and security and consistency. Um, There was even a time when our home life got so rough that I went to live with my grandmother for a year. And uh, I remember it fondly. Second, a grandparent can help their grandchildren come to faith in Christ and grow in their faith in Christ. Um, If you remember Timothy in the New Testament, um, his faith came through his grandmother and his mother. 2 Timothy 1.5 says, I remember your genuine faith, for you share the faith that first filled your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. And I know that same faith continues strong in you. So for my sister and I, um, our mom and our stepdad weren't concerned at all with us going to church. But my grandmother was, and she took us to her church. She faithfully did that for years. Um, she got me to go by promising each week to take us out to lunch to Captain D's afterward. If, if you remember, I don't know if they still do this, but Captain D's has like this all you can eat thing and uh, fried fish and fries and coleslaw and ooh, hush puppies, love the hush puppies, right? And they got that, uh, what's that, that vinegar stuff you put on the the fries. Anyway, she plied me to go to church with the promise of going to Captain D's, and it kept me going long enough to, here I am, right? (laughs) Uh, Okay, third, a grandparent can model godliness and faithfulness to their grandchildren. So when my grandmother passed in 2012, I served as the executor of her estate so one of the blessings of doing that was I got to see behind the scenes of a life of godliness and faithfulness I knew that she had served as our church's wedding coordinator I knew that she regularly volunteered to make sandwiches for the homeless Um, I knew that my grandfather, who had passed away in 1976 when I was four, um, I knew that he had served as an elder in our church. But what I learned after my grandmother passed um, was I learned about her faithfulness in giving financially to the church. Um, I learned about her faithfulness in in helping not just our family financially, but um, helping a lot of others financially over the years. And, she did not have a lot of money. Um, my grandfather was in the Navy, He's re- he retired. Um, you know, She did not have a lot of money. She lived very frugally, which allowed her to then uh, be generous. So this is something that a grandparent can do. Um, a grandparent can be a blessing to their grandchildren. Uh, as a wise counselor, right, who can share from their years of experience and share their biblical knowledge. Uh, a grandparent can be a blessing to the grandchild in just providing a place of refuge and comfort for their grandkids, right? When life gets tough, uh, a non judgmental listening ear and some warm chocolate chip cookies, right, can be a huge blessing. Okay, so back to the Redeemers. Redeemer one is Mr. So-and-so, we talked about him last week, the unnamed family Redeemer who decides not to redeem. Redeemer two is Boaz, the one who does decide to redeem Ruth and Naomi. Um, Redeemer three, is Obed, the child born to Ruth and Boaz, uh, who would be the heir who would inherit the land and continue the family legacy. The fourth redeemer that we see in today's scripture is David. Verses 18 through 22 read the following. This is a genealogical record of their ancestor Perez, Peres was the father of Hezron. Hezron was the father of Ram. Ram the father of Amminadab. Amminadab was the father of Nashon. Nashon was the father of Salmon. Salmon was the father of Boaz. Boaz was the father of Obed. Obed was the father of Jesse. Jesse was the father of David. So as I mentioned in the first message in the series, the book of Ruth was written during the time of the judges. The book of Ruth actually immediately follows the book of Judges. And if you remember, one of the key themes of the book of Judges is that the people did whatever was right in their own eyes. And the people cried out because there was no righteous king in Israel. Occasionally there would be a reprieve when a judge would have the people get rid of their idols and then turn to the Lord, but, but it never lasted. Right? And the sin just kept getting worse and worse. Uh, it went from idolatry to rape, to dismemberment, to civil war breaking out, to kidnapping, to forced marriage. Like all of this is in the book of Judges. And over and over and over again, we hear the refrain um, that we see in Judges twenty-one twenty-five, which says, in those days, Israel had no king. All the people did whatever seemed right in their own eyes. So they wondered, when would it end? When would a righteous king arise? And the answer to this question lies in this closing genealogy at the end of the book of Ruth. The righteous king we see the Israelites longing for would be Obed's grandson, David. He was a man after God's own heart. Um, He would rule Israel with a covenant faithfulness, uh, and he would restore God's blessing to God's oppressed people. He was the royal redeemer that Israel was waiting for. He was the happily ever after, at least as far as the original readers of the book were concerned. This genealogy that, we, that I just read is the climax of the book. Everything we've read brings us to this point. But of course we know that even, even David's not the real end of the story, right? He is a foreshadowing of a greater redeemer, the ultimate redeemer, who would come as a descendant of David, who would be born in Bethlehem who would fully and finally save and redeem his people from their sins. Matthew 121 says this. And she will have a son and you are to name him Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. So even though he's not mentioned by name, everything in the book of Ruth and particularly this last chapter points to Jesus as the great redeemer, the ultimate redeemer, right? We see this ultimate redemption by Jesus uh, foreshadowed in several ways through Boaz's redemption of Ruth. And I want to take a few minutes and compare these two redemptions because I think there's a lot to be learned uh, by looking at these. So first, both redemptions were proper redemptions. Boaz made sure that he followed every protocol by the letter. He knew there was a problem that could only be solved by paying the correct price. So he paid what was required. Likely, or likewise, uh, Jesus' redemption too was a proper redemption. He knew. There was a problem that could only be solved by paying the correct price, right? Sin is a violation of God's law, which demands justice. Forgiveness demands satisfaction. Um, There was a price that needed to be paid in order for his people to be redeemed. And in the redemption that Jesus accomplished on the cross, God did not just overlook sin, right? He didn't just sweep it under the rug. Um, He dealt with it properly. 1 Peter 3.18 says this. Christ suffered for our sins once for all time. He never sinned, but he died for sinners to bring you safely home to God. He suffered physical death, but he was raised to life in the Spirit. So because of his absolute holiness, his absolute righteousness, um, God requires that a certain standard be met by those who would come to him. Psalm 24, verses three through six say this. Who may climb the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? Only those whose hands and hearts are pure, who do not worship idols, and never tell lies. They will receive the Lord's blessing and have a right relationship with God, their savior. Such people may seek you and worship in your presence, O God of Jacob. So we all fall short of that standard because of our sin, right? But Christ met that standard on our behalf. He took the penalty upon himself so that God's justice would be satisfied, so that we would be redeemed, so that we would be set free. Second, second comparison between Boaz and Jesus. Both redemptions were joyful redemptions. So if you think about it, it took some effort, it took some cost for Boaz to redeem Ruth, But he did it primarily um, as an act of chesed love, right? which we've been talking about all throughout this series, chesed love. The prize was worth the cost. Now, I don't want you to come away from this series um, thinking that chesed love is just sacrificial love, that it's like the hard thing that we need to do because... It's what God wants us to do. That no matter how hard it is, we just just need to stick to it and do it because it's the right thing to do. That's not it at all. At the heart of chesed love is joy. Because Boaz took joy in Ruth, he was willing to do what was necessary in order to redeem her. Just like that, uh, it says this about Jesus in Hebrews 12, two. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. Jesus loves the people that he died for, and he loves the Father who sent him as the ultimate redeemer. Um, This redemption cost him a great deal. It cost him his very life. But he was willing to pay the price because he knew the joy awaiting him of seeing his people set free. Okay, third, both redemptions, Boaz and Jesus, both redemptions are worthy of praise. So it's interesting, even though the title of the of the book that we're, we've been studying is Ruth, the writer focuses much less um, on the redeemed and much more on the redeemer. In the same way, we need to remember that um, all of the credit, all of the glory, all of our praise for the uh, act of ultimate redemption goes to the Redeemer, not to the redeemed. It's all about Jesus. Don Fortner, in his commentary on Ruth, says this. He says, Let us adore and publish the name of our dear Redeemer. Make him famous where you live for his sovereign purpose of grace, for his electing love, and for his adorable providence for his immaculate mercy, and for his great effectual redemption of our souls by his precious blood. And fourth comparison between the redemption, the redeeming act of Boaz and the redeeming act of Jesus is that both redemptions were redemptions with purpose. So we saw it in our scripture from last week uh, where Boaz Uh, stating his specific purpose to the elders at the town gate. He says this in uh, Ruth 4.10. He says, And with the land I have required Ruth, the Moabite widow of Malon, to be my wife. This way she can have a son to carry on the family name of her dead husband and to inherit the family property here in his hometown. You are all witnesses today. So likewise, Jesus' redemption was a redemption of purpose. What is that purpose? Paul says in uh, Titus chapter two, verse 14, he says, he gave his life to free us from every kind of sin, to cleanse us, and to make us his very own people, totally committed to doing good deeds. And then Paul says it again in Ephesians two, verses eight through 10, he says, God saved you by his grace when you believed and you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done so none of us can boast about it for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. So there's a story about a little boy Uh, who made a boat out of wood. And he loved to sail this little boat on the river. Uh, One day it got away from him. It floated on down the river and he lost it. Time went by and one day the boys in this shop in town and lo and behold there it is, his boat. Like It's right there. Someone, someone must have found it and by, by some miracle uh, it ended up in this store. So the boy scrapes up as much money as he can, uses all of his allowance, even does some extra chores at home to try to earn enough money to get this boat. And he eventually buys back the boat that he made with his own hands. And as he's walking home, He says to the boat, I made you, and now I bought you. You are doubly mine. And that's what God's done. Um, He made us, and he has bought us. We are doubly his. And in both of those scriptures I read to you, we see that this redemption uh, is with a purpose. It comes with a purpose, He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things that he planned for us to do a long time ago. It's not us trying to earn our salvation, right? It is out of thankfulness for our salvation. And what are those good things that he planned for us to do so long ago? Obviously, uh, it's to love the Lord. It's to love people. It's to be a witness of that love wherever we go, right? The Bible uses metaphors like salt and light to describe how we should affect others wherever we go. The Bible also talks about the church equipping each believer to walk out uh, their calling because we're all called to be ambassadors of his kingdom. And there is some kind of kingdom ministry that he wants you to do before you leave this planet. It might be in the church. It might be outside the church. Uh, It might be in your workplace. It might be in the community. It might be to the people who are going through the same or similar struggles to the ones that you've gone through. It might be a formal ministry, or it might be a ministry to your grandchild. I mean, I'm pretty sure Naomi's primary calling was to be there for her grandson. Whatever it is, uh, like as a church, we are called to help you walk that out, like help you figure that out and to walk that out right Um, we all at the end of our lives want to hear the Lord say well done good and faithful servant Um, that is what our 101 and two-on-one classes really are all about Um, they're not just classes to learn about the church um, or to become a member although those are those are parts of it they are classes to help you begin to discover and to walk out the calling that God has on you, the things that he has prepared in advance for you to do. There is no greater joy, in my opinion, than when we finally discover the thing that he created us to do. There is no greater joy than for the hammer to discover that he's a hammer and to be used in the hands of the master carpenter. And so um, we do 101 quarterly. We do 201 twice a year in the fall and the spring. We actually have a 101 this afternoon at 1 o'clock. Um, so if you want, you can just show up. Um, we'll be up in the Life Kids room. Runs from 1 to 4. It's just a one-session one deal for three hours. All right, so here's another thing about Redemption. Redemption is not just paying the price to set someone free. Redemption is a rescue. It's a rescue from bondage, from slavery, um, and hopelessness that brings a person all the way back home. Look at what God says to his people in uh, Exodus 6, 8. He says, I will bring you into the land I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I will give it to you as your very own possession. I am the Lord. So this, of course, is the literal promised land, the land of Canaan, that God promised to Abraham and then to the nation of Israel. But this also foreshadows the promised land that God has promised us. I'm I'm talking about a city, specifically the New Jerusalem. It's also called the tabernacle of God. It's called the holy city. It's called the city of of God. It is literally heaven on earth. It's mentioned in the Bible in several places, but uh, it is described most in detail in Revelation chapters 21 and 22 where God does a complete makeover of heaven and earth. It is a city that is filled with God's righteousness. This is the city that Abraham looked forward to in faith. Hebrews 11:10 says Abraham was confidently looking forward to a city with eternal foundations, a city designed and built by God. It's the place where God will dwell with his people forever. Um, The inhabitants of this heavenly city will have all of their tears wiped away. And it will be huge. It will be 1,400 miles long, 1,400 miles wide, and 1,400 miles high. I've got some pictures they're going to put up there, I hope, of an illustration of how big the New Jerusalem will be. Do we have those? It's like a little... There it is. So 1,400 miles high, <laughs> it's like outer space. 1,400 miles high, 1,400 miles wide, 1,400 miles long. That's a big city. The walls will be 216 feet thick. Uh, The city won't need a sun, it won't need a moon, or any other light, uh, because it will be lighted by the glory of God. The city will be a place of unimaginable blessing made of precious stones, the streets made of gold. The curse of the old earth will be gone. And within this city will be the river of life, and on each side of that river of life will be uh, the tree of life, what the scriptures say, for the healing of the nations, The city will be the ultimate fulfillment of all of God's promises. Um, It will be God's goodness made fully manifest. Who will live there? The triune God will be there. The angels will be there. And the city will be filled with God's redeemed children. If you believe that Jesus, the Son of God, died and rose again, if you have asked him to save you by his grace and to be the Lord of your life, then you are already a citizen of this city. Ephesians 2.6 says this, for he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. And then 1 Peter 1, verses 4 and 5 say this. We have a priceless inheritance, an inheritance that is kept in heaven for you, pure and undefiled, beyond the reach of change and decay. And through your faith, God is protecting you by his power until you receive this salvation, which is ready to be revealed on the last day for all to see. If you have not yet trusted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I would urge you to do this today. Um, when we have prayer at the end of the service, come up. Tell a prayer team member that you are ready to accept Jesus today. As we get ready to close, I want to show you another uh, short video clip. Uh, it's a song song by Johnny Cash called Redemption. He he performed this once at a Billy Graham crusade. I came across that video. That was really cool. I mean, it was like this huge dome with like, I don't know, thousands of people. But it was a little grainy. This one was a little more clear. Um, So I'm showing you this one instead. But it's a good reminder, I think, of where we need to look in order to be redeemed. Let's take a look.
1: Title of the last song I wrote for the album. Sorry. From his hands it came down, from his side it came down, from his feet it came down, and ran to the ground. Between heaven and hell, a teardrop fell. In the deep crimson dew The tree of life grew And the blood gave life To the branches of the tree And the blood was the price That set the captives free And the numbers that came Through the fire and the flood Clung to the tree And were redeemed by the blood From the tree streamed the light that started the fight. Round the tree grew a vine on whose fruit I could dine. My old friend Lucifer came, fought to keep me in chains. But I saw through the tricks of 666. And the blood gave life to the branches of the tree. And the blood was the price that set the captives free And the numbers that came through the fire and the flood Clung to the tree and were redeemed by the blood From his hands it came down, from his side it came down From his feet it came down and ran to the ground Then a small inner voice said, you do have a choice. The vine engrafted me, and I clung to the tree. And the blood gave life to the branches of the tree. And the blood was the price that set the captives free. And the numbers that came through the fire and the flood I clung to the tree and was redeemed by the blood.
0: And that's how we're redeemed. Um, It is not what we do, it is what he has already done. We don't redeem ourselves, he redeems us. We have nothing to pay, we have no price to bring. He has already paid it. He has paid the debt and he paid it in full. He redeemed us through his blood. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we just thank you so much that you shed your blood for us. And like Johnny Cash saying, we cling to the tree, believing that we are redeemed by the blood of Christ. We trust the promise that this work is finished. There's nothing for us to do to redeem ourselves. We're simply to put our faith and trust in the sacrifice you made on the cross at Calvary. And then we're to live for your glory of a thankful heart because we now belong to you god i pray that here at life church you would continue to draw unbelievers to yourself you would continue to empower us by your spirit and you would equip us to do those good works you prepared for us to do thank you jesus for your grace for your love for our redemption and for your shed blood, the blood that washes us clean, the blood that makes us righteous, and makes it possible for us to have a future in heaven with you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.